Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Ronald Jenner will join us to discuss nature's deadliest weapons. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science show. Well, when asked to picture a venomous animal, the average person likely conjures an image of a snake curled on a branch, a spider hanging in a web, or a scorpion poised to strike. Such imagery triggers many strong emotions in all of us, and these animals are icons of mortal danger, but their venom itself has important roles in the ecology of local habitats. Well, join us to discuss this issue is Ronald Jenner. He is a research leader in the Department of Life Sciences and Natural History in the Museum of London. He's written the new book along with Ivaned Udheim titled Venom, The Secrets of Nature's Deadliest Weapons. And Dr. Jenner, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. Glad to be there. Uh, certainly a fascinating book you've written here, Venom, The Secret of Nature's Deadliest Weapons, which explore the different types of venom and the different organisms that have. I'm curious, how did you become interested in this topic? Well, it's actually not that long ago, maybe six years or so. I, I'm an invertebrate zoologist, so I like the uh, creepy crawlies uh, that live everywhere. Um, and I'm also a phylogeneticist, so my specialty is to um, construct evolutionary trees to try to study the relationships between groups of organisms. And for a long time, I've been working on questions relating to the big-scale tree of life uh, of the animal kingdom, questions like, do earthworms have a closer relationship to arthropods in your garden? and then to snails. But after studying this topic for a long time, I figured, well, you never get a really clear answer. The error bars are enormous. So I was in search for something where I could use my limited technical tools as a phylogeneticist and apply it to something to do with invertebrates. And then I discovered that venoms indeed are present in snakes and in spiders, but have evolved many times. So this was a virtually limitless playing field that I could uh, use my skills in. How is this sort of area different than the area that you're typically looking at? Uh, what, what is it that it gives you a sort of as an insight for, for looking at phylogenies, say? So I think one of the main differences is, whereas before I was interested primarily in the relationships of groups of organisms, of groups of species, now I'm asking questions about the relationships of uh, groups of genes, specifically the, the genes that animals use to produce the toxins that are present in the, uh, in the venoms. So I'm, I'm asking questions about where do venoms gum, come from, how have they evolved over time, uh, have they become more potent over time, uh, what kind of ways do different venoms, for instance, in centipedes or uh, venomous worms uh, evolve? Do they have similarities? Are there differences? So there's a whole host of questions where the comparative study of venoms uh, can be approached with the same tools that people use to study the evolution of groups of organisms. And is there sort of a common mechanism by which uh, venoms seem to emerge in different types of organisms? Do they have sort of a common pattern or sort of the same type? Or what, what have you found? Well, I think the, the venom field, especially the, the comparative approach to it, is, is fairly recent. 
venoms don't come falling out of the sky out of nowhere. Uh, venoms are, all of them are pretty much cocktails that contain multiple ingredients. Uh, the, the very most complex venoms can have hundreds or even more than a thousand different components. Functionally, the most important ones are peptides and proteins, uh, so they make up the bulk uh, of most venoms. Um, and of course, these are produced by the genes in the genome of the organisms. And the interesting thing is that uh, animals, uh, because we all come from a, uh, a common ancestor, have broadly the same genetic toolkit. So um, using this genetic toolkit, animals have uh, come up with similar ways of using genes in venom. So you find striking similarities in, for instance, snake venoms and even centipede venoms, where they have co-opted the same kinds of genes into venoms. Now, when you talk about general mechanisms, uh, there's a lot we don't know. There, there is a sort of model that the role of gene duplication is very important. So you would, for instance, have a, a household gene that is involved in some sort of uh, household function in the body. This gene would be duplicated so that you now have more than one copy. And then one of the copies could accumulate changes and could become specifically expressed in the venom glands of an organism. So you can then, in that case, uh, create novelty by uh, changing the function of one of the gene copies while maintaining the other, other copy uh, to perform the household function. And so the role of gene duplication in creating new toxin genes uh, is something for which there is a lot of evidence. For instance, if you look in uh, snakes and the evolution of their mostly predatory venoms, but that turns out not to be the whole story. It's always more complex. Sometimes genes just get uh, expressed at a very high level in venom glands, even though they were expressed uh, elsewhere in the body as well. And it's just a matter of making a lot of it. And this, this, is, this works, for instance, uh, if you have enzymes, enzymes that break proteins down, for instance. If you take a protein breakdown enzyme, you express it at a very high level. It can function as a tissue-destroying toxin. So is it always the case that venoms are really meant to kill, or do they have uh, rated functions throughout nature? A lot of venoms have evolved for nefarious purposes. So yeah, killing, killing is definitely uh, one of the things they have evolved for, especially if you look at predatory venoms. Even if the venom itself doesn't kill a prey, uh, if it helps the predator subdue the prey so it can be eaten, of course, then you know, they have evolved for, for the, the function of it eventually killing prey. But a lot of uh, venoms have evolved for defensive purposes. Take, for instance, uh, the painful stinging uh, insects uh, like honeybees. Uh, their venoms haven't evolved to kill anything, but have evolved to cause immediate and uh, memorable pain so that predators will not come and, and steal the brood and, uh, and the honey in their hives. So killing there is not the major selective pressure that have evolved, uh, has evolved the venom. But, but venom has evolved for a range of other um, purposes and roles. If you take, for instance, the duck-billed platypus, uh, the males are venomous in the breeding season, and their venom seems to have evolved for uh, fighting with other males to gain territory and to gain females for, for mating. So again, this is not a venom that has evolved to kill. Uh, this has evolved um, in the fires of sexual selection. And then 
if you look at other venoms, for instance, in ants, if there's one group of animals where venoms have evolved the most different roles, ants would be a very good example. Some ants uh, have venom components that uh, function as sex pheromones, whereby the female releases them in the air and it attracts males for mating. Um, some venom components are used to lay trails to recruit uh, colony mates or uh, function as alarm pheromones. So you talk about the very different roles of venom here that go way beyond just killing power. And is it always tailored to a particular other organism that's involved in the ecosystem of the animal that's devolved the venom, or do they just seem to be these all-purpose uh, weapons that are deployed? A, a bit of both. It, it, it depends on context. For instance, the, uh, if you have a pain-inducing defensive uh, venom, for instance, as you find in uh, the stinging bees and wasps, uh, they will create pain uh, in pretty much whatever they sting. They will create pain in us. They will create pain in birds or reptiles. So in that case, those pain-causing uh, abilities work on a broad range of targets. But if you are a predator um, and you have specialized needs, for instance, when you specialize on a certain type of prey, those, pre those venoms have a much more specific set of targets. So, for instance, uh, there are particular kind of snakes. Uh, let's take an example. The, the mangrove cat snake. It's a beautiful black and yellow snake, uh, and it's one of these snakes that are called rare fanged snakes. So when it opens its mouth, you don't actually see the venom fangs. So it's not like a viper or like a cobra because the fangs are deeply in the mouth. Uh, these guys are specialists on birds, so their main toxin in the venom is a paralyzing neurotoxin, and when it bites a bird, it very quickly paralyzes the bird. But if you would take that toxin and you would inject it, for instance, in a lab mouse, a lab mouse is about 100 times less sensitive to the paralyzing effect of this toxin. So here you can really see that this snake has evolved a sniper gun, as it were, of a paralyzing toxin cocktail to target specifically birds. I'm among uh, different species of a group, uh, do the venoms also vary? Is that things that uh, can classify different species of, of animals? Is there venom? Uh, absolutely. Uh, again, uh, if, if you look, and it always depends on what specific group of uh, venomous creatures you talk about, but if you look, for instance, uh, cone snails, these are a group of marine snails, about 500 or so species. All of them uh, are predators. Uh, ancestrally, I think they were worm hunters, but some of them now hunt uh, other mollusks, including other cone snails and also, uh, also fish. Um, so these, um, these snails have very complex venoms. Uh, if you take an individual cone snail, you may find in its venom system something like a thousand different components. If you then compare closely related species of cone snails, you will find almost no overlap. So here, the venom cocktails have evolved their composition really quickly. Uh, what the forces behind this are this probably has to do with, uh, for, for instance, specializing on different types of prey. But, yeah, you can see an enormous variation arising in a very short evolutionary time and between very close related species. And, and even if you look at uh, the changes through the life cycle of an individual venomous animal, there can be uh, differences there too. Because, for instance, baby snakes will generally eat different types of prey than adults, uh, and their venom cocktails will vary accordingly. What have we as humans then uh, learned from studying these venoms? How have we been able to avoid them or harness their uh, power? 
Well, I mean, what we learned from Venom, first of all, is that the whole world of Venom uh, opens all kinds of research windows on interesting topics. For instance, the role of gene duplication to understand the evolution of novelty. Um, if you want to understand how best to neutralize venoms, yes, you need to know uh, uh, as much as you can about what uh, these venom cocktails are comprised of. Although, you know, it's interesting that the antivenoms that we use these days uh, to help people who have been stung or bitten by dangerous venomous creatures, stung in the same way as more than a century ago. They use the immunological ingenuity of horses or sheep that have been immunized with the venom. So, in fact, you can create very effectively uh, antivenoms without actually knowing much at all what's in the venom. Uh, but if you want to proactively use the power that has evolved um, in venom for good purposes, for instance, for developing new pharmaceuticals and drugs, then you need to very clearly understand what is in a venom. So drugs have been developed already from venoms. And in order to do this, you need to fractionate, refine, take apart the venom into a different constituent components and understand what each of them does. So uh, after looking at a bunch of different venoms, which ones fascinate you the most? And Oh, that, that's, that's one of these tricky questions. Which one do you like best of your babies? Um, in my own research, I, I'm fascinated by uh, a group of, of, of worms called bloodworms, vernacularly. And, and these are marine worms, and they live all around the world. Uh, for instance, they, they prop up a multi-million dollar fishing bait industry along the eastern seaboard of the United States uh, because you can dig them up in, in mudflats. Um, and these, they look a bit... If, People haven't seen these worms before. If you imagine a fairly large uh, pink uh, earthworm that you dig up in your garden, but these guys come equipped with a proboscis that shoots out, topped with four fangs with which they can inject paralyzing and liquefying venom. And this allows these worms that are otherwise uh, quite helpless to catch mobile and strong prey like crustaceans, which they can paralyze and swallow. So. We studied them trying to figure out how a worm can use this, this powerful weapon uh, to, to evolve and to, to survive in a challenging eco, uh, ecology. But uh, it, it's a difficult question. Uh, one of the most fascinating groups is, are the cone snails. Cone snails are fascinating for many reasons. I'll give you one specific one. If you take the most dangerous snail in the world, Conus geographus, or the geography cone, this is a cone snail that hunts fish and it has evolved a venom which is different depending on whether it wants to subdue prey or whether it defends itself so if it would shoot uh, its prey it uses a cocktail of toxins that paralyze fish but if you annoy it and it uses its defensive venom that's a very different cocktail of toxins which are incredibly dangerous and in fact uh, a geography cone can kill a human being if you don't get medical treatment in about 70% of the cases of envenomation. So how these creatures have evolved different cocktails for predation and for defense is, of course, a very fascinating topic. The, the mechanism that triggers these are, are, are different as well? The mechanisms are different. So uh, if you take a, a distantly rated cone snail species, the uh, marbled cone snail, if you take this cone snail and you entice it uh, with a bit of bait, it will use its paralyzing sniper gun. This is a mollusk-feeding uh, cone snail to try to paralyze its prey. If you then take it out of the aquarium and you squeeze it with some tweezers or you 
handle it roughly. It doesn't like that. It can shoot its uh, defensive bazooka, a larger cocktail of paralyzing toxins. And then you put it back in its aquarium, give it a minute or so of rest, and then it can, when presented with its prey, again use that specific cocktail of toxins that is tailored to paralyze prey. So they can switch back and forth. So they can, I shouldn't use the word consciously, but they can deliberately switch back and forth between different uh, cocktails of toxins. Where, where do you think the direction for uh, research into venoms and the, the venomous creatures going? And what, what do you think is left to be uncovered in terms of trying to understand the, the, the secret of nature's deadliest weapon? I will answer your question along two streams. The first is, of course, we are living in a world where um, we need to continue to develop new med- medicine to treat all kinds of ailments. And, of course, nowadays what's in the public mind is that we are running out of uh, antimicrobial uh, medicine. Uh, and one of the things that you can find in a lot of venoms are venom toxins that actually kill uh, microbes, sometimes very specifically and selectively. So exploring the vast reservoirs of venom toxins to perhaps find new antimicrobials, I think, is a very interesting but also a very pressing and important avenue of research that goes directly into the applied value of venom. The other thing is I'm an evolutionary biologist. My mission in life is to make sure that people such as David Attenborough have something to say when they present nature shows because we live on this wonderful planet full of creatures and the best studied groups of venomous animals, snakes, spiders, and scorpions, are only a small fragment of the 200,000 or so species of venomous animals alive. And we know next to nothing about what's in their venoms and what specifically these venoms do and how they have evolved. So there's a huge playing field to make contributions to fundamental science by doing the comparative study of venom. Certainly, I uh, think your book helps uh, open that door, giving us an eye into the vastness of venoms and the, and the animals that use them. Uh, the new book, again, is called Venom, The Secrets of Nature's Deadliest Weapon, and we're just talking with Dr. Ronald Jenner. And Dr. Jenner, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. Thank you very much for highlighting our book. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.